It is the 200 level episode 163, a breath of fresh air. For a couple of reasons. Illinois gets a win last night. I know Penn State's not a very good team, but a win nonetheless to get off the schneid, as we used to say at 93.5. And then a breath of fresh air for another reason, of course, Inauguration Day. And I will save that until the end of the podcast. So if you want to tap out, if politics ain't your thing, even though I don't think I will be getting that political per se, I think I'll just try to take a little bit more of a personal approach with that and why the last four years were a bit of a slog in a lot of ways and why I am hopeful going forward. But I'm going to save that to the end. So if you don't like political carp, quote unquote, then you can, like I said, tap out. No problem. But we did have an Illinois basketball game last night and one that I think was encouraging, even given the fact that the opponent that you played is not good at all. Really bad. In fact, uh, not even close to the Penn State team that we saw, it felt like back in December, a team that you still beat pretty handily when all was said and done, but it felt like they still had the remnants of last year's what would have been, I think, an NCAA tournament team for Penn State. But you look at them now, three and six, interim coach, just a total mess. And then to compound the issue, the fact that Penn State as an institution is just kind of annoying anyways. Annoying is probably an understatement after the whole Sandusky thing. But the fact that this basketball program has decided to make Illinois its rival and that even when they're trailing by very large margins in the second half in both of these games, they felt it necessary to chirp a little bit and get in our face. Now, that's not to say Illinois is a perfect team and that guys like DeMonte aren't maybe getting under the skin of the opponents, but it, it's a little bit pathetic and just annoying because I don't want to have any of our guys get hurt or get in any position where they might do something stupid and get suspended for a game or two because of Penn freaking state. It's the kind of game that you want to win and you want to move on. And fortunately, that's what happened last night, even after the 15-minute review to decide, oh yeah, a Brockington, you get a technical foul as well. That was a joke among a few others last night that just makes you shake your head and wonder, why is college basketball becoming this bloated two-and-a-half-hour mess? So there's some... Things to unpack from last night's game. Most of them good, a couple of them a little bit sloppy, but overall, something to be excited about going forward because we saw this team, for extended parts of that game, play some of their best basketball in a few weeks. So, before we get into all that, and at the end of the podcast about today and what happened in Washington, D.C., I want to remind you that the 200 level is brought to you by DPDO online at dpdo.com. For all the best deals and prices, dpdo.com. Use coupon code MIKE. $5 $5 calzones, $6 premium and construction zones, and they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. And when it's cold like it is outside, it's just brisk and annoying. Let them just bring it to you. Stay inside, stay warm. dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. You must have worn your new lucky shirt last night. Whatever you wore last night, wear it whenever Illinois plays again. We don't know when that's going to be, maybe eight days from now, but Hey, that's enough time, actually, to go to 4th and Kirby and get your new lucky shirt today. Use coupon code 200LEVEL for 10% off your order at 4thandkirby.com. Finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. For life, auto, home, renters, business, you name it, Brian will hook you up with whatever kind of insurance that you need. State Farm prices with great personalized service. And Kara and I can vouch for it after moving into our new place. The process was so easy with Brian and his staff. That's brianismyguy.com. Not just a clever domain name. He is my guy. He is my guy. It is the truth. And he's also a sponsor of the 200 level. We appreciate all of our sponsors and, of course, our partners at Illini Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. 
Okay, so Illinois basketball with the win last night against Penn State. Overall, what do you say? A B plus. I think when you consider the opponent, you still feel pretty good about the way that you dominated for large chunks of that game, and that's what Illinois did. Currently, Illinois is ninth in the Ken Palm. Here are the updated rankings. They're ninth. Offensive efficiency, they're ninth. Defensive efficiency, they're 25th. That's pretty good. Effective field goal percentage, they're 15th. You look at all of these offensive numbers, and they are in the upper half at worst in NCAA. So very encouraging with that. Turnover percentage, though, that's still a bit high. You're 302nd in the country. And even though the turnovers weren't awful last night, you still saw some messy play. Now, as I look at Ken Palm and it projects things out for this Illinois team, they have a 15-9 and record and 11-7 and in conference. That is the projection right now. That includes a loss to Iowa, Michigan on the road, and then the last two games of the year, Wisconsin and Ohio State. But if you do finish 15-9 and 11-7, and you are probably looking at, what, a five-seed in the NCAA tournament, which is, as Lon and I so often joke on 93.5, the thing that we would love to get back to that point. I mentioned on the last podcast how expectations have changed, and it stinks, right? Can we be honest about that? We can look at this Penn State game in a vacuum and say that that was encouraging. But I don't know about you. There were moments when Illinois was playing really well against Penn State that I actually got frustrated at the fact that they were playing so well and thinking, I understand that Penn State's bad, but if we had just done this against Maryland and Ohio State, we'd be, what, 8-1 and one in conference with Iowa looming next week, setting up the game of the year that we all hope for? which is still, of course, a huge game and an opportunity to, I guess, get back in Big Ten title comp- conversation, though I, I don't need to broach that. I've done it before. I'm not going to make that mistake again. So I will avoid the Big Ten title talk today. But yeah, I found it a little bit frustrating when Illinois had these good stretches yesterday to think if you had just shown the urgency in the last two games. And then I flip it. I go from that sort of cynical Illini fan, that, that rabbit hole that I so often go down, and I turned it into a positive and thought, listen, if it If it had to start, it had to start somewhere. And maybe we can use this as a springboard of sorts. Now, I said this after the Northwestern game. I said this after the Penn State game back in December when you were down 19-4 and then had a great 35-minute stretch. But finally, apart from the last couple minutes of that first half against Penn State, where things got sloppy and then the entire end of that half was derailed by the 15-minute review, you played a complete game. You won by 14. We could nitpick a little bit and say you should have won by more than that, given the fact that Penn State's bad and statistically you were kind of kicking their butt in every which way in the box score. But you know what? I'm not going to nitpick when he came off of two losses, maybe a fragile team psyche, and overall they responded. And that's what you want to see them do. And you also saw a response that was pretty comprehensive in terms of all the individual players had a good game for you. Io, I guess, was off in terms of offensive production. Kofi was fantastic. Trent Frazier played his most confident ball, especially on offense, in a long time. Encouraging to see. Adam Miller continues to play very well. Andre Curbelo, yeah, there were some messy parts, but he got that swagger back that you love to see from him. Georgie, good off the bench. DeMonte, doing his thing, finding a role. I don't think his role changes all that much, and that leads into Jacob Grandison. Now, when that move was made last night, I kind of scratched my head and thought, well, that's interesting. Grandison is not the guy that I would have thought. After all, I was this, you know, hashtag start Curbelo guy for a few weeks. And now it's hashtag start Grandy. And he did a great job. Now, I don't think that's an aberration. 
If you look at what Grandison has done over the last few games, he plays a pretty efficient game. He's a good passer. He shoots what are wide open shots. He's kind of like DeMonte in that way. He's not going to force anything on offense, but he will take the open shot and he makes a good percentage of them too. And he's got size and he defends well. There was a moment last night where Penn State forgot to block him out. He got the rebound, the putback, and won. And to me, that was indicative of why he is getting this opportunity to start and why I'm encouraged by all the intangible things that he brings along with efficient production. Jacob Grandison at the four and Coleman Hawkins, you saw a lot more playing time from him last night. Maybe we're seeing a bit of a shift here from Underwood. We saw DeMonte playing the four. And as an undersized four, that really bit you against Maryland and Ohio State, two teams that have size and athleticism. Now, against a team like Iowa, I think DeMonte's actually a great matchup out there at the four, but that's not always going to be the case. And you saw for a large portion of those 40 minutes, there was either Grandison or Coleman Hawkins on the floor. We'll see if that is something that sticks. I like what both of those guys brought to the table. You saw a larger rotation, nine guys yesterday, and I think you could continue to see that going forward especially with how well Grandison is playing. You know that he's going to get his. So what does this mean going forward? You know, that's the tricky thing because we don't know when the next game is going to be. They're trying to get a non-conference game before this Iowa game because that would be nine days off. Rust factor that you don't really want to deal with when you get a top 10 team coming in here on Friday, January 29th. And it doesn't appear that they're going to shuffle around any of these Big Ten games, though you got to wonder... What is the Big Ten doing if you aren't shifting around these games? Nebraska, Michigan State, that's two on the docket so far that maybe we'll make up, maybe we won't. I would love to make up the Nebraska game, just to get that extra one in your pocket. Michigan State, that seems to be a game where it's all about timing. When do you play Michigan State? Because if you get them when they're red hot at the end of the season, which Izzo teams so often do, I don't know if I like that matchup. But to have this so in flux and to not be able to build off that Penn State game, a little bit disappointed, right? You had a week off between Maryland and Ohio State. Quick turnaround for Penn State and then potentially another nine days off. As a fan, it's difficult to ride that wave and stay engaged with it. And then as a player, you wonder, it's got to be even more difficult to feel like everything that you did so well against Penn State, we'll just do that again against Iowa, guys. Just repeat that. That can't be easy if they don't play another game between now and then. And with all the safety protocols, can you go out there and get a UT Martin? And would that fit within the Big Ten scheduling thing? I'm not sure. I get the feeling that I'm hoping, fingers crossed, sometime over the next couple of days, it comes across the Twitter wire that we have a game on Saturday or Sunday. Just something to put in there and keep the team fresh and not allow for that extended layover. But let's say you got to wait until Iowa. It's still a big game. Six and three in conference, you put yourself in a position to go seven and three. I think Michigan, after their bounce back effort against Maryland, looks to still be the favorite. Iowa still sitting there with one loss in the Big Ten, though their upcoming schedule does get a little bit tougher. Illinois away at Indiana, if you can call it that. Ohio State at home. Let's see, at Michigan State, at Wisconsin, at Ohio State, at Michigan. They got a lot of road games, especially in that back half. In fact, it looks like for their last six games, at Michigan State, at Wisconsin, at Ohio State, at Michigan. And then last day of the year, Sunday, March 7th, they play Wisconsin at home. If I look at Michigan, and I'm trying to find losses for them. See, look at me. I'm going down this rabbit hole again and trying to find a path to the Big Ten title. How dare me? I'm totally reneging on what I said earlier. Michigan's schedule is so easy. 
Good Lord. The away games they have, uh, Purdue coming up, which, by the way, Purdue, all of a sudden, that's turning into a decent one for Illinois. Northwestern on the road, Wisconsin on the road, Ohio State, Indiana, Michigan State on the road, home games against Indiana, Michigan State, Illinois, Rutgers, Iowa. Their single plays against Illinois and Iowa at home. So a pretty good break for them. I'm, I'll step back from the Big Ten title talk again. I always go down that rabbit hole. I really shouldn't. But when it comes to this Illinois team and trying to stack some wins, unfortunately, I don't know if the schedule really allows you to do that. So the question is, what are the games that you could win that would improve your seed line? And that is the approach I'm going to take. Not Big Ten title. All right. I, I started to go down that rabbit hole. Don't allow me to do that. Okay. I, I need to stop. Now I'm talking about seed lines. How can you ensure that you can get a four or a five. And you know the Big Ten's going to get so much love from the NCAA Selection Committee, probably going to get 10 teams in the tournament, something crazy like that, and that if you finish in the top half of the Big Ten, you are likely going to be a five seed at worst. So the Iowa game next Friday, I view that very much as solidify yourself again as a four or five seed. Wisconsin at home on Saturday, February 6th, same sort of thing. At Michigan, it, that's becoming a game that's almost nothing to lose at that point where Michigan's going to be a top 10 team easily when you go there. And I won't expect to win that the way Michigan's playing. But if you do, all of a sudden you get excited again for that final stretch run. So what does it take for this team to build some consistency and find themselves relevant in the Big Ten race? Or, again, to step back from that ledge, find themselves firmly on that four line? To me, it's the Givens, Iowa and Kofi, continuing to do what they do. And I think the way that Kofi played against Penn State was as encouraging as anything we saw last night. He had to be dominant. He was dominant from the get-go. His touch around the rim is getting better. He literally separated a guy's shoulder because the guy's arm slapped Kofi's head. Imagine slapping someone's head and it's your shoulder that breaks. Usually, you slap someone in the head, they go down. Kofi didn't even feel it. It was like a, a fly on his shoulder. No big deal. Kofi is playing phenomenal basketball. And there has been a few exceptions to that. Ohio State, I thought, was one of his worst games. Then he bounces right back. That's encouraging. The fact that you did all this without Io having his best game. I am a little bit worried about Io. A little lack of rhythm on offense, which is surprising. Defensively, there were a few lapses yesterday where he was not cutting through screens very quickly and his guy was getting pretty good looks. Again, should I worry about Io? I don't think so but something to watch and see if he can get that offensive consistency. But if we are going to solidify a four or a five seed in the tournament, and I'm going to go with that now as my MO, can we get a four or five seed in the NCAA tournament? It comes down to Trent and Adam Miller specifically. And if those guys are shooting, because I got to give both of them credit. They're playing great defense. Watch Adam Miller on defense, incredibly active. And I know that back in November and early December, there were some iffy moments for him on the defensive end, but he has really cleaned that up. I know Underwood has sung his praises as a, as a defender. And if you key in on Adam Miller on certain plays on defense, you will find that he is on his guy like glue. And he's got decent size, so he can overcome the occasional mistake or two in terms of his footwork. So Adam Miller, Trent Frazier making threes, we see what happens when they do that a game like Penn State where it's never really in doubt. Instead of nursing a five or six point lead, you're up in the double digits pretty consistently because they're just making those three-point shots. Those are the two guys I'm going to really kind of key in on. The rest of it's kind of a bonus. Whether you look at Andre Corbello, are you going to get good Andre or sloppy Andre? Listen, Andre's going to Andre. 
there's going to be that inconsistency from a freshman point guard that is pretty frenetic out there. Sometimes plays the chicken with his head cut off, but makes that phenomenal pass, which makes you really, really excited for what he can do. But we're going to have to accept that there's going to be that inconsistency from him. Georgie, as good as he's been off the bench this year, and it was great to see a pretty solid performance against Penn State. Offensively, you like what you get from Georgie, but there are still the occasional off nights. That's Georgie. But you can accept all those things as long as the other two gimmies in that starting lineup, Trent and Adam, are playing complete basketball. That makes everything else a bonus. Who is your third leading scorer? It doesn't have to be Adam Miller the rest of the year. It doesn't have to be Trent Frazier the rest of the year. But in all likelihood, it's going to be one of those two guys that's going to be your third leading scorer every night. And if you can avoid those shooting nights where they go a combined two for 11 from three, you're going to be fine. And that is what I'm really keying in on going forward. So overall, a net positive. When I look at what we saw last night, there were moments, especially in the first half, where the frustration was starting to set in. I was ready to flip over to the Great British Baking Show on Netflix and just kind of cleanse the palate. I noticed that there was a carryover effect from the Maryland and Ohio State games where the frustration that I had losing those games in the manner in which you did, essentially pissing away a chance at a Big Ten title. There I go again with that. (laughs) But essentially, right, you kind of pissed it away, at least for the time being, that it was very difficult for me last night to get into it like I normally would for a Big Ten game. Yes, there are some games, even in conference, that are kind of sleepers where you just aren't really into it. You're yawning throughout, and you're like, let's just get this thing over with. Never more evident than at the end of the first half. This is a quick rant. I'll try not to belabor the point or beat a dead horse, whatever cliche you want to use. Officiating in college basketball has gotten awful. And the primary culprit of that is replay. Now, this is not to say that replay is a bad thing. It's not. It is essential sometimes. But it is amazing how adult men have to congregate and talk for upwards of 5, 10, and in last night's case, 15 minutes to decide to award one more measly technical foul to a guy on Penn State's bench. What should have been the case is no one should have got a technical Right, If an official's job is to make a game run smoothly, maybe that's not in the job description, but in my mind, that is just as important as calling the fouls and calling the travels and things like that, is making sure that the game goes smoothly, that it has some flow to it. That's the most underrated part of a good official. And we can talk about Bo Borowski, which has become kind of a cause du jour of Illini fans. I guess they hate Bo Borowski. But I will say, if you go back to the Maryland game, and I think even the Ohio State game, you might have been there, There was an overall flow to that game. The fouls were not too crazy. You got through both halves in fairly quick fashion. Last night, not the case. No game in college basketball, unless it's double OT, should go two and a half hours. Now, this is a first world problem to sit here and complain about two and a half hours of my life being taken away by poor officiating. I know the world's smallest violin is playing for fanboy carp right now. But it is sucking the fun out of it. It really is. College football a long time ago, I accepted the fact that it is a bloated mess. It still aggravates me to no end that when I step inside Memorial Stadium for an 11 o'clock game, I know that if I want to see the whole thing, I'm getting out of there at 245. That is way too long for any sporting event. But listen, that's college football. They have embraced this Lawrence of Arabia style epic that has to go for half of your entire freaking day. And that's why I love college basketball. It's quick. Great, 6 p.m. tip. By 8 o'clock, I can 
decompress and go do something else, right? Or even last night, ah, 7.30, tip great. It'll be done at 9.30 and I can go do something else. Again, these are all first world problems, but it is a damn slog. And last night, yeah, that was an aberration. 15 minutes at the replay booth. You don't see that every game, but you do see a lot of replays, probably two or three every game, that go a minute or two longer than they really should. And what are they looking for? Half the time, that's just it. What, what are we looking for? Why are we doing this? As this continued on and on and on last night, I just thought, what's the big deal? Some guys on opposing teams jawed at each other. No punches were thrown. Why are we still reviewing this? And then, insult to injury, Coleman Hawkins gets a technical foul for saying, give me that S word. We're, we're a family-friendly program here. Give me that S word as he blocks a Penn State player. That gets teed up. It's a game. These are competitors. They trash talk. They say naughty words. And now we're awarding technical fouls and spending 15 minutes at a replay booth for no apparent reason whatsoever. The Big Ten, and really college basketball in general, needs to crack down on that. But they don't, because this is what happens every year. They meet as a rules committee. They decide that we need to clean this up or we need to clean that up. And it completely disrupts the flow of the game. It is a freaking game. It is entertainment. And when it stops becoming entertainment and becomes a pain in my ass as a fan, that's where I get a little bit aggravated. So out of all the things last night, it's amazing how officiating. I try not to ever rail on that because it's low-hanging fruit. And it's not a job that I would ever take because, yes, it is difficult. I don't dispute that. But so often you find officials get in their own way and make their job that much more difficult. As Jeremy tweeted out last night, eventually decision makers got to make decisions in reference to the 15-minute delay that we had in that game. As you have two benches, this is 2.7 seconds before they would have went into their own locker rooms for another 15 minutes. We had two halftimes last night. Wasn't that fun? I find myself during halftime thinking, what, what am I going to do? 15 minutes is enough. I don't need two 15-minute blocks to twiddle my thumbs and wait for the action to start again. And for what, right? That is my officiating rant. You won't find it very often here. There have been moments in my life that have been disrupted by bad officiating. Okay, Arizona 2001. Let's see, North Carolina 05, Sean May, of course. Michigan football back in 2000, the fumble game. Yes, officiating has screwed Illini fans, but you know what? As much as we have that chip on our shoulder, they've screwed every fan base, right? So I try to avoid digging in on them, but it's, it's getting a bit much. And I think the officials, or sorry, the announcers last night, Robbie Hummel and whoever the play-by-play guy was, they were trying to address it as much as they could, but considering they're paid employees of the Big Ten Network and these are Big Ten officials, I think they were trying to choose their words carefully, but eventually you just don't want to watch it anymore. You just don't. And it's, it's a shame because it should be a breezy two-hour game. That's what I grew up on, not to sound like the old man yelling at the cloud. But this is 40 minutes of regulation. And if it takes longer than two hours, we got a problem. All right. Dead horse beaten. Enough of that. <laughs> that aggravated me more than anything last night. It really did. Uh, that and the early three-pointers from Penn State. And I'm thinking, okay, eventually, if teams are making this many threes against you, that's a trend. It did fall off. I thought the defense tightened up. They started to challenge those three-point shots a little bit more. I didn't think they were contesting them very hard early on in the game, so they did fix that. 
overall B plus effort, not an A, not an A plus. There's still things that were wrong with it. But when you compare it to where the team was the previous two games, it did seem like something registered. And I'm only hoping that there's some game between now and Iowa where they can continue that because it's very difficult to envision nine days off. Oh, here's a top 10 team. Now go play your butts off. It's hard to imagine kind of getting that mojo going to the extent that you'd need to get what would be a huge win. And hey, last year against Iowa, the Big Ten title, it was already out of the picture. We knew that that wasn't going to happen, but Illini fans still got up for it. As I sit here today, I know for a fact that next Friday night, when it's Illinois and Iowa, I mean, that's appointment television. It's something we've circled, even without the Big Ten title on the line, like maybe we hoped it would be, we're going to be pumped for that game. And I think the players will be too. I just want them in terms of the reps and the flow to not have that rust factor going on. All right, that's Illini basketball. Uh, again, I wish I could give some news about a game. I just want more games to watch. I, I don't want this season to come and go and then just kind of end, you know, and, and for two reasons. One of them would be I don't want it to just end without a banner that we can hang or some sort of tangible success that this team accomplished, right? The other is I don't want a bunch of games to get postponed. And unfortunately, you already have two, and it may not be the last one. But you don't want a bunch of games postponed, and then all of a sudden, the season came and went, and you played 21 games, and that was it. And then it was done. Very anticlimactic. I understand, given the circumstances, we're lucky to be getting any basketball at all. And to Illinois' credit, we have not been the reason for any of these. You can go back to the multi-team event back during Thanksgiving weekend. Was it Wright State? I think had a cancel two days before, and then you got Chicago State in here. Again, that wasn't on Illinois. Nebraska, Michigan State, that wasn't on Illinois. Back to football season. None of those postponements were based on anything Illinois did. So, hey, kudos to this DIA for seemingly having their stuff together. All right, before I get into the second part of this podcast, I want to remind you, DPDO online at dpdo.com. Use coupon code MIKE for $5 calzones and $6 premium and construction zones. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That is dpdo.com. Use coupon code MIKE at dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Another coupon code for that, 200 level for 10% off your order. Vintage-inspired Illini t-shirts, crewneck sweatshirts. It's great stuff. I got three shirts and a sweatshirt from them. High-quality material, great print work on the shirts and the sweatshirts. That's fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200level at fourthandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. No coupon code needed because you're going to get great State Farm prices no matter what kind of insurance you need. And I will tell you from personal experience, the service is tremendous. They personalized everything for our move, for our bundle homeowners and auto package. Great State Farm prices and great service to boot. That's brianismyguy.com. Okay, today was a big day, not just because Illinois got off the schneid. Thank goodness for that. Inauguration day, and during class today, we were in the middle of six hour, and we had a small assignment that we're doing over a couple days, and that was when the oath started for President Biden, and then he gave a speech, and I just said, listen, kids, you know, we should watch this. This, this is history, and you only get these every four years, and that's what we did for the rest of six hour. Now, as I woke up today, there was, as is the title of this podcast, a breath of fresh air. It felt a little bit different, and that even included the morning where we saw the final moments of President Trump's tenure at the White House, where he left on Marine One and then did, 
did that speech in front of Air Force One, and then he just kind of flew off, and that was the last that we saw of him as president. For me, this has been so much less about politics and so much more personal. There were a couple of tweets last week during Ask Carp Anything, one from Dave asking uh, about Trump, and I think it was basically just, you know, is he the worst president? I forget Dave. I, I don't want to mischaracterize it, but it was a tweet that wanted to get my take on Donald Trump and why he has not been a very effective commander-in-chief in my mind. And then Ethan kind of had a follow-up to that where he said, you know, can you think of something good that he's done? And I was thinking about that because you, you got to operate. I've always been one of those that says you got to got to work with nuance and you got to find those gray areas because if you become absolutist about something or hot takey, you're going to lose your credibility. So Ethan, I have, I've been thinking about that. But here's the thing, and I, I think this illustrates why for me it was so much less political and so much more personal when it comes to Donald Trump, is as I thought about your question, I could not help but say, you know what, for whatever good things he may have accomplished, there were a multitude of things that happened on his watch and the overall attitude of this country and the way that people speak to each other and the way that people feel about each other has been so damaged in the last four years. And not just the last four years, this has been a buildup and it goes beyond Trump, but the last four years it accelerated to a point where it is difficult for me, Ethan, in full honesty to find those positives. I know economically things were going pretty well. I know for my 401k, I, I'm not really good about that kind of stuff, but I got, a, I got a financial person. And yeah, I did pretty well over the last four years. So I understand why people would look at certain economic policies and say that it worked for them. I know that as someone that's never been a business owner, I can't speak to that. So it would be unfair for me to say the entire four-year thing was a total failure when I know that there have been people that have benefited from it and not in some sort of nefarious way. Of course, there's been the you know big donors and super rich that have really benefited the trillionaires that we have like a Jeff Bezos. But there are people, regular Joes that you often see touted in these political ads that have benefited from those policies. So I won't pretend that that isn't the case. But for me, when I say it's personal more than political, I'm speaking to the fact, not as a parent, because I don't have a kid. I got a dog, but she doesn't know what's going on. But I have nieces and nephews. As a sixth grade teacher, I see that they are smarter than sometimes we give these credit these kids credit for and that they kind of know what's going on even if they don't know the ins and outs of it they kind of know what the temperature is and what the attitude and the vibe are kids are fairly you know cognizant of that sort of stuff and then for me personally i think about the way that i try to interact with not just friends and family and people i know and the way that i try to carry myself on this podcast you know, people that might disagree with me politically would probably say that I've always been honest, right? And and I also try to be self-aware and let you know that if I'm being emotional in my thinking, you know, if I'm not coming at it from a logical perspective. So I'm coming at this very much from a personal perspective where the things that I view to be positive characteristics in human beings with anyone that I would want to associate myself with, I have a very hard time finding any of those in Donald Trump. And to boot, if we're talking policy and the way that it impacted people, the last year, yes, there were some external factors that any president would have struggled with, but I feel like they were made immeasurably worse by incompetence. If I were to draw a line between politics and sports, think about all the times that I railed on Tim Beckman and Lovey Smith. 
two very different guys, but two very bad college football coaches. <laughs> and I'm sure that there were times where I came off like I was personally attacking either of them. And while that wasn't the intention, I know that there was a way that I speak sometimes that might come off a little bit sharp-tongued, right? A toxic tongue that's just really digging into people and, and maybe in an unfair way. I know that the DIA people over there, uh, even not the very top, but you know, close to it, they didn't really want a whole lot to do with me at a certain point because they felt like the way I was criticizing the football program especially was unfair. So let me try to frame it like this. I view politics and sports as not all that dissimilar in that coaches and politicians have a lot of power and we need to hold them to account. They're handsomely compensated for what they do. They should know better. And oftentimes, even though they know better, they're either too lazy to actually carry it out or they find other interests that sort of pull them into the dark side. When I look at Donald Trump, it's just incompetence. That's it. Incom- well, that's not it. Incompetence already mixed in with the fact that personally, that is a person I would want nothing to do with in my own life. And if the last four years were frustrating on a personal level, in terms of interactions I had with people that I knew, it was seeing people that I knew excuse awful behavior under the guise of, ah, you know what? All the libs have been asking for this. Listen, I skew liberal. Absolutely. And there's no doubt that sometimes liberals find these causes that they just hammer on. And I understand why it can become grating to certain people. I absolutely do. Uh, There was an article. I wish I could remember what it was. Uh, Essentially, it was an article that felt like a purity test for a celebrity that, well, this, oh, this is what it was. It was about Matthew McConaughey and his flirtations with the alt-right. And I read this article and I read the quotes that they took from Matthew McConaughey. And I said, this is really, really searching for something that probably isn't there. And that is the bad kind of leftist, you know, purity test sort of thing that really antagonizes people. It can feel like you're getting attacked. I understand why that has fed into this, yeah, Trump is owning the libs. Screw the libs. So I get where that's coming from. But eventually, I felt like it was taken too far. And I felt like it was used as a convenient excuse for otherwise reckless and intolerable behavior from the most powerful guy in the world. And that is why the last four years and then the last year, you have a pandemic like we've never seen in a hundred years. We're living through this historic awfulness and we somehow find things like wearing a mask into a grocery store as a political issue. We find opening schools, and this is where it got a little bit personal, opening schools became a political issue. I'm happy to go back into school if I know it's safe. That's it, right? We started today in the afternoon. It was great to see some of the kids again. We all want to be there, but all of a sudden, as a teacher, it felt like I was being a political football along with the millions of other educators out there. And it wasn't being helped by the guy at the top. I look at how a pandemic that was going to be bad no matter what was made immensely worse because of the inaction from the federal government. And listen, I got plenty of tweets from people saying, oh, we stopped the flights from China. That is a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. There was total inaction. And even as this thing has gotten to its worst point yet, nothing from the federal government. And I find that there have been people that I know that have really done some pretzel logic to explain away some awful behaviors from this guy. People that I still respect. you know, And, and that might seem like, well, Carp, if 
if, why would you respect what you view to be enablers, right? Because here's my approach now that Biden is president, and this may be very naive of me. I got to give people a mulligan. I can't be cynical. It is mentally unhealthy to be cynical. Conan O'Brien, when he got kicked off The Tonight Show, his fantastic closing monologue was about that. Never be cynical. And it resonated with me. I watched it randomly two weeks ago. Went down this rabbit hole. Oh, this is what it was. Because Conan used to do the Central Time Zone New Year's Eve countdown. And when I went down that rabbit hole, I found his closing monologue, which I remember from back in the day as really resonating with me. And I watched it again, and it was the perfect time to watch it in the midst of the final days of the Trump presidency and asking myself, well, what, do I need to hold these people to account who are supporting him? Do I need to be pissed off at people that supported Donald Trump? And individually, that's not healthy. But collectively as a nation, there's really no point in doing that. Now, I do think that Donald Trump should be held accountable for that BS that happened on January 6th. Essentially, the president incited a riot. Let's call it what it is. He needs to be impeached. He needs to be held account to it. And for those numbskulls that decided that they were going to crash into the Capitol, the QAnon folk, yeah, there needs to be some accountability. But I'm talking about the people that may have voted for Trump but are not so far down that rabbit hole of madness. There is no benefit in me holding a grudge or being pissed off at them. And why today felt like such a breath of fresh air to me and I know tens of millions of other Americans is it naturally, I thought, cooled the temperature. And maybe that's just me talking because I clearly didn't like Trump. And it did kind of have this cloud overhead thing for the last four years, right? You just never knew what was going to happen in the highest office in the land. And now we can kind of rein it back in. I felt like today was a reset button of sorts. But if I'm going to be an active participant in that, I'm not going to be one that antagonizes people on the right. Um, and I'm not going to be one that holds a grudge for people that voted for Trump, even twice. Trust me, I was wrestling with this as we got towards election day. How, how could anyone vote for this guy again? And I still wonder that. I do. How could someone double down? Because back in 2016, I had so many people saying, and truly, family, friends, coworkers, saying, oh, it's going to be okay. We'll be fine. And it kind of ended up okay, meaning that our institutions held, the process went through, the election was the biggest turnout we've ever seen, right? So there are positives to come from this. But I was wrestling in the months leading up to the election, if someone can double down and vote for this ass a second time, what is going on with our world? But I, I realized that's not healthy. What's that going to do? So a breath of fresh air in that we got Joe Biden in there. If you are someone that thinks that Joe Biden is the worst person ever, please take a step back and, and check and see, are you in the QAnon sphere? You know, like, is there anything that objectionable about Joe Biden? If anything, I'm just happy to have a fairly vanilla guy in there again, which may sound like me coming from a place of privilege that I can sit back and say, ah, I can't wait until politics are just quiet again. Listen, for some people, they have real life concerns and issues where politics are never some quiet and dull thing for them. They have their livelihoods at stake. So I, I want to be kind of careful saying that. But I do think, and this is something I heard on CBS uh, this morning, Major Garrett's wife, I think, told him that the way the president talks is sort of the soundtrack of the nation. And think back to all these, like you go to the Oliver Stone JFK movie and the clips of JFK in the beginning, you're like, man, 
wow, the early 60s, right? In a weird way, the words that he said were just as much a soundtrack of the early 60s as pop music was. And you think back to even Reagan, who maybe ideologically I don't align with, but the conciliatory tone that he had, the soundtrack of that tenure, that doesn't mean that JFK or Ronald Reagan or any president hasn't had a lot of mistakes and hasn't overseen a lot of bad things on their watch. But there is something to be said about the impact of words, how important it is for a president to embody the attitude of the nation, or vice versa, the nation embodies the attitude of its president. And for what it is worth, I think that Biden has been very calculated in a positive way this entire time by using the words of unity, togetherness, all that kind of stuff, which you can roll your eyes at, and I understand why you might do that, but Again, I'm not going to be a cynic. I'm not. I've always kind of been an idealist about America, and maybe that's going to bite me in the ass. I've been lucky enough to not really have that happen yet, and far too many have. So I understand the tendency to think it's never going to get better, or what's the point? I even had discussions with people I'm close to that, that still weren't sure whether it was worth voting in the election or not. And I'm not going to scoff at that because there was a great George Carlin routine about why he doesn't vote. And I love George Carlin. And I think sometimes you do need an acid tongue to sort of cut through the BS. But I think I'm an idealist at heart. And that's why today I'm holding on to the optimism that we heard at the inauguration today. And I'm going to hold on to that and hope that by the end of this four-year stretch, we find ourselves in a better position than we are now. There is a rot in certain parts of this country where disinformation has gotten to the point where people have an entirely different reality, that's not going to evaporate in four years. But it's got to start somewhere. So if I'm to tie in this historic day with an Illinois win against Penn State, how about that transition? It's got to start somewhere. And I'm holding out hope, not just for Illini basketball, but for the United States of America. Good God. That's the worst transition ever. I understand it. Please forgive me for that. We'll move on and, and pretend I didn't just compare Illinois beating a bad Penn State team to a new president. But there we go. That's what it is. And uh, if you stuck around for that, appreciate it. It was just something that I was thinking about today. And I, I do hope that you have some optimism too. And that it's never felt when you listen to this podcast like I've been attacking or accusatory. I think if anything as someone that does skew liberal, it's not that I would be afraid to call people out. God knows I'm not afraid to do that. But it is, I think, important to still try to actually have a dialogue and discussion about things. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Um, I don't know if we're going to have another podcast this week unless something happens. I hope there's a game this weekend. I'll figure out some time to come back behind the microphone and do another podcast because we love doing it. Love doing two or three a week. And we've been averaging about three or four a week. So we will be back for what I don't know. Hopefully there's a game. Please let there be a game. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy. Real quick plug, this is Decadence Out of Your Head from our latest album, Fever Dreams. The intro music is Wasted Time. Don't know when I'll see you guys again, but it'll be soon, I promise. It is the 200 level. Please.